So welcome back to the second part of our Numenitis podcast. Um, hopefully you're listening to this in order. It will make more sense if you do. And we left on a cliffhanger last time of the patient who has a CT scan or you know, a, a imaging of some sort, which shows some radiological evidence of potential pneumonitis. And then we also talked about you know, the, the symptomatic patient and, and having to pull that apart. So Anna, when I get this kind of patient, I put my hands up in the air and say, I find this tricky. I find it tricky to know at what point I start to think about doing, let's assume they've not had lung function. I, st- I struggle to know when to do the lung function. I struggle to know when to speak to one of my respiratory colleagues about doing a bronchoscopy. Um, I tend to edge towards that when there's diagnostic uncertainty, but I, I, I definitely struggle on the let's just treat with steroids versus let's start to get somebody else involved. So maybe just your thought process on on how you're making that kind of call and what, you know, and I, I guess, you know, we've talked a little bit about infection screens. We talked about sort of typical and atypical infection screens. But what how, how do you decide when to involve somebody else, a specialist? And, and what are your kind of sort of barn door, straightforward, always do them tests, and then the more specialist tests and how you decide when to do them? Fantastic question for this time of the day, Ricky. So, um, so I think, um, uh, firstly, I think my sort of investigative sort of standard has changed a lot over time with pneumonitis. So we used to sort of say, um, do a chest X-ray, and if it's there, then think about some steroids. And that was, sort of, and, and you know, if you're worried about, um, if you're worried about infection as well treat that as well and I think that that still holds true you know I, I don't think that's unreasonable at all but what I've found over the past few years and I think particularly as I was saying you know with the with the pandemic and the kind of the, the the rise of the viral infection in this differential um I've definitely sort of started doing a, a, a much larger group of tests which I think don't on their own give you a single answer it's all about that picture uh, and trying to put together what is and isn't going on in somebody who may or may not have perfect lungs to start with so I think always you know thinking about managing the manageable so making sure that you've sort of investigated that they've not got an a, you know an effective exacerbation of their COPD or they haven't got a barn door consolidation because actually that's really important because that tells you that that actually this is somebody on immunotherapy with an infection so it's still very reasonable to do a chest x-ray and to do your baseline blood so I think increasingly particularly as we're using more chemotherapy immunotherapy combinations I do think that white cell count and an inflammatory marker such as CRP is really important I find that really helpful I find a white cell count on its own increasingly less helpful because actually so many things can affect it in our patient group we can have you know bone marrow failure we can have chemo induced neutropenia we can have steroid induced neutrophilia so (laughs) we end up in the situation of actually not really being able to interpret this number so um so I do always do a full blood count, obviously, and I do always do a white cell count. But I think it's just I always find it useful to com- to combine that with an inflammatory marker such as CRP. I think that's so that's the first thing. And then moving on to sort of slightly weirder and wonderful things. Uh, the more I do this, the more I think it's important to rule out some of the, some things at baseline. So I generally speaking, always always will do an atypical viral screen and a COVID swab. And with the glories of the technology and how things have moved on so quickly, you know they've got COVID or not very very quickly. And that for me is a real win. So I, I you know we've been through the phase where everybody that walked through a hospital door got a COVID swab. But I actually still do swab all of these patients. I think it's really important. 
I will then um, also make sure that I've done things to rule out fungal and um, and PCP infection. So we do obesity glucans and galactamannans on on a, every patient that we've got who's got clinically significant breathlessness that may be immunotherapy induced, um, because actually it takes a good few days for those blood tests to come back, and they are really really helpful. So I do that, and then the other thing that I I do, which I, which not everybody will do, and I'm not I'm not certainly not advocating that everybody needs to do. But we do 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 take procalcitonin levels as well, just because that does help. You know, we know in the COVID setting with people who had viral infections, if they had very high procalcitonins, that was highly suggestive of a superadded bacterial infection. So we have and we're just about to we're just reviewing our data at the moment to see how helpful it is. But at the moment, we do also include procalcitonin as part of our sort of pneumonitis panel. And that, for me, helps me understand if I've got a, a a biochemical suggestion of a bacterial infection, an, an inflammatory process, a fungal infection, PCP. Um, you know, actually, by doing that 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 blood test panel at the beginning, that really gives me a good idea as to what's going on. When I combine that with it with it with cross-sectional imaging, that together actually gets me quite a long lot of the way there for most patients. Um, when I say cross-sectional imaging, we've we have bounced backwards and forwards about what the best chest imaging is to do. Do we just do a CT chest? Do we do a CTPA? Do we do a high resolution CT? And increasingly do we do something called a prone CT, which I'll talk more about in a minute because actually it's quite helpful and quite useful, which is something that we've learned working with our radiology colleagues. But essentially as a screening test, we do a CTPA on everyone because actually the the it is they are gives do the, the protocol is good enough to show decent good going ground glass inflammation. It means you can rule out confidently that they haven't got a PE as well and it will show other differentials such as bronchiectasis um, or significant emphysema so for us as a starting CT scan we will do a CTPA on everyone um, and that that together gives me a, a pretty good baseline and then in terms of do I get a respiratory physician involved who do I do a bronch on who do I do spirometry on that actually <clears throat> narrows that field down ideally I would like to do spirometry on everybody that's requiring certainly requiring IV steroids for um, for pneumonitis um, you know in a, in a perfect world I would probably do it on everybody that was requiring oral steroids for a grade two pneumonitis but I'm not doing that I'm doing it for patients who have got grade three severe uh, pneumonitis at the moment in terms of the respiratory physician side of things, <clears throat> what I've found is that building a relationship with the respiratory physicians and their internal processes has been really helpful. So we have a space every month on our interstitial lung disease MDT, for which there is somebody, you know, a radiologist who's who's experienced in looking at um, at complex um, inflammatory CTs. Also, the the respiratory physicians and I learn together about our cases. We use steroids and other immunosuppression in a very different way to the way the respiratory physicians do. So actually that joint learning is really important. And as a basis for that, then if I've got somebody who isn't responding to first line investigations, I've done all the infective screens, none of them are positive. I'm fairly convinced this person has got an inflammatory pneumonitis that they're not responding to. Then I would reach out to them to say, I think this is what this is, but is there anything I'm missing? And similarly with a bronchoscopy, I will do that if I've got a real question about whether somebody's got infection or inflammation. So bronchoscopies I don't find particularly helpful. If I'm fairly convinced that somebody's got an immunotherapy-induced pneumonitis that they're not getting better, um, actually 
does a bronch add, add anything? The thing it adds is that you get a negative you get a negative result, which is quite helpful if you're worried. But for the people I I, I struggle most with are the ones that have got low grade fevers. They're not getting better on steroids. They've had some antibiotics and they're not getting better, and you're still left with this very clear diagnostic uncertainty. They're the patients that I then talk to the respiratory physicians about whether we can do a bronchoscopy on, and we do do them. I'd say we probably you know we bronch maybe one person um, month every six weeks just to sort of that are in that sort of diagnostic uncertainty ban bandwidth but I wouldn't do a bronchoscopy for everybody I would like to spirometry everybody but I don't and I do it for those patients who are who are severe because I'm trying to then understand whether things are getting worse or better because I can do it again and you can get serial measurements that way but I have to say the the, the thing that I found most helpful in looking after these patients and understanding what's going on is making sure I do those tests at baseline when they first come in because then I've got time for them to come back and the other thing that I've done is built a really good working relationship with my microbiology and infectious diseases team so that I can say, I've got this person, this is what their CT looks like. I've We've screened for infection, we've covered with antibiotics. Do we think this is possibly PCP? Are we missing something? What do we need to do? So I think building up those, those relationships, as we talk about all the time in immunotherapy, but it makes a really big difference of being able to just sort of go, right, this is, this is, this is a complicated one. 90% of them aren't, and I know what I'm doing with the imaging and the biochemistry, but this person isn't really responding how I want them to. What do we do now? What do we need to look for? Is there any bizarre and weird and wonderful infections I need to look for that I haven't screened for? So I think that's that that's really helpful, building those relationships in the background so that you can go and have a conversation about your complex ones and a place to take those complicated patients, both from a learning perspective, but also from a discussion perspective. Okay, that's great. And, and I guess the other thing, just to remind the audience, is, you know, how easy it can be to um, to miss a cardiac toxicity, which we're not going to get into today, but just to always have, you know, when someone's short of breath um, and, you know, for example, the CT hasn't given you the answer, um, start to think about cardiac causes of, of, um, of shortness of breath and, you know, IO-related toxicities. Easier for the next, for the next, um, next few podcasts. But you're right, Ricky, I think it's really important to make sure we're doing an echo um i don't you know you've got very little to lose by doing an echo just to make sure that you're not missing something from a cardiac perspective and quite often patients will have combination sort of physiological impairments so i think it is it is really important not to forget that as well okay and then anna just um so the ct thing was really interesting so just so i'm clear and the audience is clear if you've done a standard restaging ct scan which shows some potential pneumonitis are you then putting them back in a scanner and doing a CTPA is question number one. And number two, talk me through that prone thing and, <laughs> and when you would do that. So uh, it depends. Uh, so if we have got somebody who has come in with breathlessness and they've had a recent staging CT scan, then no, I don't tend to restage them. Um, and I will happily say, right, that, that means, but you, you always have to then for subsequent CTs, you always have to think about um, what phase and what, what, what sort of pictures you're going to get because quite often we'll be comparing a CTPA and a staging scan that's not an uncommon situation for us to, to to find ourselves in so just think it's always really important when you're doing that to remember that you will get slightly different picture quality you'll get slightly different depth of understanding in terms of the ground glass changes so those patients again it's really important to talk to your radiologist about do we think this is genuinely getting worse or, or is it just that we've got different modality so I will diagnose and and treat on a staging CT scan. If somebody's coming in acutely, I will repeat their CT scan, even if they've had um, imaging, um, if it was more than a week ago, because actually things do change. I think that's one of the 
the important things that we we recognize about immunotherapy is it changes really quickly and I think it's it's been a big learning curve for us to get our heads around the fact that that's the case so often I'll have conversations with radiologists saying I know they had a scan two weeks ago but I think it will be different now and and actually you can see pneumonitis changes change almost daily on a CT scan which is a very different situation to the one that we normally find ourselves in because normally they'll say well there's no point because you won't see any difference yeah. but we absolutely do see difference so if I'm if I think the patient is in a different clinical situation to the one that they were when they had their CT scan done I will re-CT them because I want to see what that temporal change is and actually if somebody's got changes sort of over a few days that tells me that their pneumonitis and their inflammation is quite severe whereas if it looks fairly similar then then actually you know you're sort of dealing with a slightly less less sort of progressive process so I do find that I will re-image an awful lot of people if their clinical situations change but if it is that they're breathless they've had a staging CT scan and that's the CT scan that's done in time with their symptoms I will happily take that as the scan that that we use to to base things on I always go back to what their images look like before because you know as I said there's lots of patients that have got very complex lungs and so I will work with our radiology colleagues um, and increasingly sort of look look I look at more and more scans than I think I've ever looked at before but I'll always when I'm when, certainly when I'm looking at the patient's sort of pathway um, and certainly when I'm teaching I will go back to where their scans were pre-treatment and then we will look and see what their their sort of ground glass changes look like over time because again that's really helpful to try and understand sort of how long we've had problems for because it might not have been it might not have been sort of called out previously it might be that they haven't been symptomatic before so I think that serial imaging is really important. In terms of a prone scan one of the things we sometimes um, struggle with is if if we think the patients have got pneumonitis in their bases there's always this question of whether it's atelectasis or whether it's in inflammation and so you kind of you don't know what you're dealing with you think that they're, they're more symptomatic they're a bit more breathless but actually the scan just shows atelectasis at which point we don't want to get too excited and we don't want to over treat with steroids so because if you then put, do a scan with a patient prone, um, it opens up their lung fields in their bases. And so if you repeat that scan and you've still got changes in those bases, it's not atelectasis that's causing that. It's much more likely to be a pneumonitis change. So for patients where, I've, where, we've, where we've gone, this is acting clinically like a pneumonitis the CT scan isn't particularly helpful, but there is these atelectic changes at their bases. I've we've done prone scans and actually found in some that they 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 definitely don't have pneumonitis, but in others actually we've confirmed pneumonitis changes. So I will use that if I've got this diagnostic uncertainty in that situation, and it's been very helpful. That's really really useful. So I, I I've never done that, but it's something that I'll absolutely take on board. It it it, it makes physiologically it makes perfect sense um, what you're saying. And then just uh, just to sort of finish the investigation bit, then Anna. So you know the the lung function tests. Um, again, like you say, I, I try to to do them if if I can do them if I've got access to them. Um, and and often one of the things that 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 comes back on the report is that there's been impairment of the diffusion capacity um, and in my experience from looking at lung function although I am absolutely not an expert at this that seems to me to be one of the earliest things that changes but again just wondering how you're using lung function in terms of how is it changing what you do does it influence your management at all? Yeah, I think it, so. It does influence my management. I think that's that early say, changes is really interesting, isn't it? And I don't, I don't think that we have historically been able to get 
I don't even know if it's that we haven't been able to get them or just whether we haven't been asking for them early enough, actually, if I'm honest. I think we've never really had a problem in terms of when we've asked for them, they're done relatively quickly. But I think it's taken a while for it to become something that we ask for regularly, because obviously normally it's it's not it's our respiratory colleagues that ask that ask for spirometry tests. So I think for lung function, increasingly putting it on our radar as something we should be doing has been important. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. That is a really, that's something we do see as an early sign if we're, if we're doing them. But for me, the utility of, of lung function tests that I'm finding is knowing how long to immunosuppress them for. So if, if I'm seeing sort of improvement, that's really helpful. And often patients will feel symptomatically better. But what we, we used to find was that we were in this situation where they feel symptomatically better. You'd wean their steroids, they feel symptomatically worse again. You'd, you'd re you'd re-immunosuppress and they'd feel better so for and then you'd kind of you'd sort of go through this pathway and and for some patients you couldn't get them off steroids and there were quite a few patients where I was like I don't for me there's two categories one is about the utility of actually do I just carry on immunosuppressing these patients for a bit longer and do I think about using a secondary agent which I obviously will talk about in a little while um, rather than carrying on with steroids on their own for a long time so I think lung function tests are helpful with that. The other thing I think they're helpful with is, does this patient actually just need, you know, have they got a genuine ongoing inflammation or they've got post-inflammatory impairment and actually they need long-term home oxygen and a respiratory and respiratory optimization as opposed to me just giving them more immunosuppression? Because I, 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 there's definitely a group of patients who, once they've had their initial inflammation and you've treated that inflammation, their their respiratory function doesn't return to what, what would be expected for them. And actually they don't need more immunosuppression at that point they need respiratory you know respiratory input physiotherapy and and so for some of them um they do they do need um some sort of intermediate home oxygen rather than be carrying on with high doses immunosuppressives and i think lung function really helps us understand where they're up to in that and is it is it is it sort of a a functional thing that i'm going to be able to reverse with it with a, an immunosuppressive process or actually is it about the fact that they need they need something else and a respiratory physician to pick this up and and to sort of to to optimize them so i find them really helpful and so what i tend to do is one when they're um unwell and then if i if they're kind of coming down and they're flaring i will do i will repeat their lung function tests and then i will go and talk to my respiratory physicians about whether actually i need to give them more immunosuppression or more more commonly i don't think that i do i think they need something else and then we'll work out what that something else is and refer them on if needed okay that's really really useful um i've never i've never thought about lung function as as a as a way to monitor it, it but you're right it, it makes sense as um and and i guess a little bit like when we talk about colitis and things that gastroenterologists you know fecal calprotectins is a language they get i guess lung function is a similar thing that they're very used to looking at lung function and and probably interpreting them in a way that frankly i i i still can't but actually is that is that what i think you're saying anna that it's yeah, it's useful to that. engage that conversation hugely useful so it's really interesting so i i think uh, lung function sits in the world of voodoo of stuff that we don't understand as oncologists and probably don't want to um so <laughs> so and there's a few of those things i think through immunotherapy toxicity that we kind of go that's that's lovely that's that's I can do that and then I can talk to you about this um so I think that's really important and yeah absolutely so the the reason we started doing more lung function tests to start with was because every time I spoke to one of the interstitial lung disease specialists they asked me what they were um and so <laughs> and so I was like well, we don't really do them enough because we because what we're what we nor what we used to do is we we treated the acute problem that was in front of us, but increasingly these 
what you've what we've realized is we hold on to these a lot of these toxicity patients irrespective of organ for a long time and if we can understand how we're going to manage those people in the long term actually you don't tend to you know it it becomes less needed because you're sort of more aware of the sort of the longer term impact rather than it just being about they've got some inflammation that's really important we need to make sure we're treating that but actually is this somebody that's going to struggle so uh, you know for example if uh, a well non-comorbid melanoma patient um, they will get pneumonitis and we will treat their pneumonitis and they will get better and, and actually, it doesn't have a long-term impact. It has no long-term sequelae. And you treat them and, and sort of then you decide what you're going to do with their immunotherapy. But they're relatively easy to reverse. But if you compare that to somebody who's got a bit of honeycombing in their lungs, um, some existing bronchiectasis uh, and huge amounts of emphysema, and then you throw a bit of throw a bit of pneumonitis into that picture and and it is not an easy thing to reverse. It takes a very long time to get them better. They tend to have symptomatic disproportion to their amount of inflammation, partly because they've got so many other things going on in their physiology that it's not just about the inflammation. It's just that was a bit that tipped them over. And those patients really need uh, input from respiratory physicians. And actually, they will ask you about their lung function tests. So you're already streets ahead of you can say, this is what they were like at diagnosis. Yeah. This is what they like when they came with their, with their pneumonitis. And this is where they are now. And they're not getting, you know, they're, they're not getting better you know their, their inflammation is better on a scan but they clinically aren't better and I think that's the other thing if you're if you're only going to do a stop a single stop point for lung function and you don't have great access to it which obviously is very variable across the country for me it's the patient who you've immunosuppressed their ground glass changes are better but they symptomatically are not they they're the people to get lung function tested and then talk to our respiratory colleagues. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it, it's I'm smiling to myself. It's a little bit like um, I had a, a neuro case this week, and 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 they always say, oh, we should do an EEG and nerve conduction. And it's almost a similar conversation because I always go, oh, I haven't done that yet. But actually, no. it's a similar thing. It's their language. It's things that that they yeah. just like to have at their disposal to 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 paint the picture, I guess, for them. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I can see, and actually I have to say, the richness of the conversation and the variety of things that we can do outside of immunosuppression has increased by doing those things. So I think sometimes you think, oh, do I need to do those things? And and I think, you know, it doesn't necessarily tell, tell you anything different about the cause or the fact there's inflammation there. I think that's really important. So actually that that starting bit where you where you begin, that doesn't change in that conversation. It's exactly the same. It's then what the impact is on that person and what you're going to do long term that seems to be all the 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 difference. Um so and and that's where those conversations helpful. So I think you're right. And then you can talk to neurologists about EEGs. And also it's amazing how much better you <laughs> you get you remember these things again and you're like, oh okay, good. So so you know, and it's the same again, like with our radiology colleagues. You know, I I I'd look at more scans and understand more scans than before. I am not a radiologist, would never pretend to be one. Um, but it does it helps the conversation and and the reason that's been useful for us is particularly for for pneumonitis, but other things. We do different protocols now in our radiology scans. We don't necessarily just do a high-res CT or a CTPA we'll have a conversation about what the protocol is that will show us the question that I'm asking so I have to it makes it's really good it makes me think about the question that I am asking you know has this ground glass got worse is this you know, traction bronchiectasis the the conversations are are enriched by the the specialists sort of suggesting that we do the tests that they <laughs> they in fact use and find useful because actually I think increasingly we find them useful but it doesn't mean it isn't immunotherapy causing the problem and it doesn't mean there isn't inflammation there it's just how that's manifesting in a bit more detail. 
Great. Okay. So, Anna, let's bring this one to a close, and then we'll have our final part in this little series, and we're going to get into what I think is going to be a fascinating discussion on the management. About treatment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will see you shortly. Perfect. Thanks, Ricky.